One of the things as an investigator coming into a paranormal investigation, you hate to hear the term used so loosely, demonic, demonic in nature, possession, oppression. What are these terms and what does it mean? Can a paranormal investigator clear a demonic house, truly help an individual by themselves during oppression, possession, or do they need to contact an exorcist? Welcome to Ghost Travelers Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kilgore. And today, we'll talk to a real exorcist, Bishop James Long. Bishop Long has done 28 exorcisms. He's been featured on shows like Ghost Travelers. He has been on several different networks. He's been featured on Coast to Coast AM. And tonight, he's going to share his experiences and even a story. I hope you enjoy the show. Bishop Long, welcome to Ghost Travelers Podcast. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. For those individuals who are not familiar to you and your background, if you would, can you take a couple minutes and introduce yourself? Yeah, you know, I, uh, gosh, I've been in the paranormal community for a long, long time. I tell you, this is, to kind of to let you know, I when I started in the paranormal community, we, you know, Facebook didn't exist, MySpace didn't exist, and we communicated through uh, Yahoo groups. <laughs> that was that was how we uh, we talked to each other, and it, it was just uh, you know a long time, long, long time. But I I started primarily because there was really no clergy um, that was helping the, in the paranormal community except for uh, Andrew Coffin. And uh, so I just decided, you know, I, I could go ahead and jump in and and, uh, and try to help out, and that's that's what started it. I really didn't want to go public with my ministry. But the problem is, is people would tell me, you know, James, there's nobody helping. There's no there's no Catholic clergy helping at all. None. There's zero. And so I decided to uh, to go public, and that's when I created the paranormal clergy. And, and um, you know, did a lot of the television shows and things like this, primarily to get the word out about the paranormal clergy. Because I was never paid for the television shows. So I, I, it was just a great way to advertise for the paranormal clergy so that we could help people. Now, you did bring up the Catholic Church, and I know the church that you are ordained in is called the United States Old Catholic Church. Can, right. can you tell us a little bit about that, how that is separate from the Roman Catholic Church? Sure. Yeah, I, I, studied, I studied for the Roman Catholic priesthood for six years. Um, well, it was truly one of the best years of my life. It really was. It was... The formation and the education that I received was second to none. It truly was phenomenal. And I, I am blessed um, that I have had that opportunity, that formation, the spiritual formation, academic formation. But I thought that God was calling me really to serve in a different way. And uh, the old Catholics, I've known about the old Catholics for a very long time. And the old Catholics, uh, what happened is in the 1890s, they branched away from the Roman Catholic Church over papal infallibility, uh, as well as some other things that they just said, you know, 
the, the, the Roman church was overreaching its control, its boundaries. And so that's why there was a split with the church. And so I decided to join uh, the old Catholic church. Now the old Catholic church, it's governed by the bishops themselves where the Roman Catholic church falls underneath. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And uh, keep in mind that one thing about the old Catholic church is there is no one, um, there's no papacy. And so while that can be good in one way, but it also can be bad in another because with the old Catholics, you, you have a variety of beliefs, right? So you have some that are very conservative. You have some that are very liberal and some that are moderate. So each jurisdiction is governed by their own uh, either clergy uh, or council of bishops or their presiding bishop. And so it really just depends on, um, I guess, the, you know, the bishop, the tone that the bishop or the council of bishops that whether or not they ordain women, uh, whether or not they're inclusive to the LGBT community. Uh, it really just depends on, on the uh, jurisdiction. Well, that seems, if I remember correctly, that's the way it was run, you know, uh, in the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, you know, they had house, you know, clergy, where they would go to each of the houses and which churches, which is fine. The only problem that I, I think, the major problem that I, I feel with uh, the old Catholics is, you know, there's a lot of people who are running around now saying that they're clergy, that they're bishops, and they're priests and uh, etc but they have no formation they have no formation whatsoever and there is no one organization that's verifying that the formation that they have received is is actually valid and true and so that's a major issue with the old catholic church because you have a lot of people a lot of clergy who have very little formation very little if any and that is a major major problem because you know, when you have when you start listening to some of these clergy, you know, preach, uh, they're, they're certainly it's, they're not preaching Catholicism, and you can tell by their theology that they are severely lacking formation, and that is that is a major disadvantage, I think, with the old Catholic Church. Yeah. How long is the uh, how long have you been involved with uh, the old Catholic Church? I actually met. Um, the bishop that uh, ordained me and consecrated me in 1988. And so I had known about them for a while, and I had discussed things with him and was very interested in, in learning more about it, and, uh, and I did. I learned a great deal about the old Catholic movement. But I, I really had a, I had a desire to, to really kind of go into uh, the Roman Catholic uh, study for the priesthood. I had been Roman Catholic all my life. But as I got older, I began to, you know, just kind of figure out, is this where I want to go? Is this where God is leading me? And so I went to the, uh, the seminary, studied for the priesthood. And um, I, it was just really, it was at that time when I was in the seminary that uh, there were several things. One of the things that I remember is that a priest was talking, talking to, to us about the sacrament of reconciliation, you know, confession. And, you know, they said that if... If someone went in there and said, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, uh, I, I have molested a child, and um, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm not going to turn myself in, I'm not going to, that uh, you could not 
you know, turn that individual in over to the police because it is still a confession. Yes. And I said, no, no. So you're telling me that if a child is being raped, you would absolutely, under no circumstances, would you go to the authorities? No, you can't. You absolutely can't. And I said, well, then I don't need to be a Roman Catholic priest. Because there's no way, there's no way that I could ever live with myself. Um, knowing that this person is, is hurting a child and not reporting it. I just couldn't do it. I just, there's no way. And if I remember correctly from uh, looking over, you know, the U.S. Old Catholic Church, it is recognized by the uh, the Catholic Church itself, right? The the Roman Catholics? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a... Um, there is an article that was written by Cardinal Ratzinger, of course now Pope Benedict, and uh, signed by uh, Pope John Paul, that stated that any church that has valid apostolic succession, while not in communion with Rome, is validly Catholic. And so a lot of Catholics who have, you know, unfortunately there have been, been people who said some pretty ugly things about me, <laughs> because I'm inclusive and I'm old Catholic. Um, but and then they attack me. You're not really Catholic. Well, yeah, actually, actually we are because we have valid apostolic succession. And even Rome um, made it very clear that. And the reason is they were doing it because there are make, there's other jurisdictions, there's other religions out there that have valid apostolic succession, and therefore they are a Catholic. And so I can show my apostolic succession all the way to Peter. I have 111 pages of apostolic succession. That is it. That is extensive. That is one of the most extensive apostolic sessions that uh, is out there. So, you know, people can argue all, all they want. Uh, I, I'm not Roman Catholic. I do not claim to be Roman Catholic. Um, even the name of the church that I belong to is United States Old <laughs> Catholic Church. So there's not much more we can do to tell people we're not Roman Catholic. <laughs> Can you cover for us some of the ministries that you're associated with? Well, of course, you know, one of the things that I have done that um, I've done for a long time now, it has been demonology. And so that is a ministry that I obviously am called to. I've been called to that since I was a little boy. And it, it is a call. It is a ministry. Demonology is a ministry. It is not a secular job. And that's a major issue with the with the paranormal community. People are using this demonology tagline as if it's a secular job, teacher, lawyer, doctor kind of thing. It's not. It is a religious calling. It's a calling. And so if a person who claims to be a demonologist does not have strong faith, and you, you don't see that in their actions, um, that's a problem. If you see more promoting themselves so that they can get on a television show or that they can get this money or that money, uh, that's not a demonologist. That is a person who is using demonology for profit. And um, so that's something that I'm pretty passionate about. I, I just simply don't like people who do that. And that's, that's, that's rampant, paranormal film. You have a very impressive educational background. I know you have a doctorate of ministry, a master's of divinity, a bachelor's of communication theory, 
and even associates of philosophy. And this is just to name some of them. I know you even have business degrees. And you are an ordained bishop and ordained exorcist and also a paranormal investigator. What training do you think and experience, uh, do you believe that an individual who wants to go into demonology to ultimately to do exorcisms, what do you think their background should be? Well, first of all, you know, we, we have to separate exorcism for, from demonology because those are completely two separate issues there. A demonologist has no business performing anything, any ritual that an exorcist performs because a demonologist is not necessarily an exorcist. So that's got, that, that has to be understood. Unfortunately, it's not. And you have a lot of people who are doing, you know, doing rituals that they're not, they have no, they have no ordinations, no right to do. So uh, I have, of course, a paranormal course online where they, you know, people can learn paranormal, uh, demonology, angelology, genealogy, all four courses, very cheap. Um, and of course, that goes to homeless ministry. That's one of the things that I've been doing for years. Uh, I mean, I've been active in homeless ministry since 1997. Well, actually, earlier than that, because I was a, uh, I worked at a homeless shelter, um, and so I go to homeless camps and I pass out food and clothing, and I, I have a single mothers ministry where I help single moms who are in trouble. So, every if I've ever made money ever, it always goes to that ministry because I have to fund that ministry, and so. I have the, uh, the online course. They can go to www.paranormalcourse.com and they can sign up there. And I, I would, the, the very first thing that I would tell anybody who feels that they are called to serve in that ministry is pray. Take it to prayer. Make sure you're doing uh, this not for ego. Because once you get involved with ego or the possibility of making a buck, or the possibility of maybe getting on a television show, that is when you are going to step in a web of trouble. Because there will be a time where you will walk across and you'll come across something that is truly demonic. And that's when that's when life completely turns upside down. So you have to make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons, the sacrifices that you have to make. And there's, there's a lot. I, I would say pray. Make sure that you're not doing this for ego purposes, because if you are, you know, that that would be that's that's blasphemy. Can you share with the listeners what is the difference between a demonologist and an individual who actually is ordained to perform exorcisms? Sure. Yeah, you know, um, a demonologist is one who, who studies demonology and usually assists an exorcist. Um, you know, for purposes of, of learning and about demonology, what are the signs of demonology, recognizing it, and then, of course, gathering all this information and then forwarding it on to an exorcist or to a church community it belongs to. So a demonologist has no business performing the solemn art of exorcism because they're not ordained. Um, people, all, all, they tell me all the time, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I can perform an exorcism. No, you can't. Because the, the part that they forgot when it says in Scripture, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, and then he said to go out and cast out demons. They forget the point of breathing the Holy Spirit upon them. That's ordination. And 
they, 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 they just, people tend to forget that, that aspect of it. And that's what gets them in trouble. Because then they think, well, I'm Christian, I can, I can do it, and I don't need ordination, I don't need any of that. That's ego. And so uh, an exorcist is one who has devoted their lives entirely to God and who is not involved in this with, with egoism, money. The minute that you are, you're, you're, I'm telling you, the minute that you get involved in this because of ego, uh, your, your, your life's going to come tumbling down. It's, um, this is real stuff. This is not make-believe. This is not, um, this is not fun. There's nothing fun about doing, uh, getting involved in demonic cases. That's not fun. And I think people have got to really understand that, um, this is someone's life that you're dealing with when you're dealing with possession. And not only their life, but the lives of the, of the family members who are watching their loved one deteriorate in front of you. This, and, and not only that, but let's understand that if you go and you perform this right and you're not trained and you know that you're not trained and you kill the individual, that is involuntary manslaughter. People that have been sent to prison because of that. So, I mean, when I perform an exorcism, I've done 28 documented exorcisms. I have licensed professional medical staff there monitoring the vitals. I have individuals who are there who are making sure the person, if they go into uh, a seizure or go into any type of attack, they're all they're going to be there and maintain. You can't just hold someone down and restrain them without their without their legal consent, because that is illegal too. So this is not. I have a million dollar insurance policy on this uh, on my um, on my ministry. This is very, very serious. I mean, you you, you go and, and, and pretend to be an exorcist when you have no training. They're going to, someone's going to end up killing somebody. And they have. People have done it. And they are now serving time in prison because of, they have an involuntary manslaughter charge. Well, that, that's, that's something you don't want to get involved in. Um, for a lot of our listeners are very interested in the paranormal or actually have a paranormal group and are conducting paranormal investigations or uh, separately ghost hunting. If they think they've come across an individual who might be in one form of possession, uh, what should they be looking for? What are the different stages of possession? Well, of course, we we all know the infestational possession, um, the stages, but you understand when you're dealing with oppression, you're also a second stage. You're also dealing with uh, oppression and uh, obsession. And so what happens is the demonic entity will infest itself into a home. Uh, loud bangings or religious objects are desecrated. There's terrible, terrible smell, foul odors. Uh, it begins to make people uh, ill. Uh, it is usually uh, targeted. Um, it's quite violent. It, I mean, it's targeted to the point of causing extreme problems for the family. And then it focuses on one individual, and they begin to uh, go into the second stage of oppression. At that time, you're dealing with uh, breaking down your intellect and will. So, I mean, your intellect, you think you're going crazy because you're hearing things, you're hearing voices, you're seeing things. Um, it is constant oppression where, imagine for, if you will, it, and no matter 
what you do in life. Everything you do, you take one step forward and literally three steps back. And it's constant. It, it doesn't let up. It affects everybody around you. It will affect your health. It will affect your job. It will affect your love life. It will uh, affect everything. And it, it's constant. It doesn't stop. Just imagine all the time, constantly, never, never letting up. And that is when it is trying to break down your will. And so when you have your intellect and will eradicated, you get to a point where you isolate yourself. You can't fight anymore. You just can't take it. And that's when possession takes place. But even in possession, you have transient possession and, and perfect possession. Uh, transient possession is when the demonic enters the body and leaves the will. Perfect possession is when it's in a constant state of possession. So, you know, the, the, the probability of a person passing away in perfect possession is very high. Because there's no relief. So if you try to give them food or water or any type of substance of life, they can get violently ill, regurgitated. And that's why you have to make sure that you have medical staff there who is monitoring the vitals to ensure the person doesn't go in cardiac arrest. Well, Bishop Long, if an individual believes that they're in one form of possession or if a paranormal group believes they've come across an individual who is in one of these stages, what, what should they do? Who, who should they contact and how do they go about doing something like that? Well, that's why, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I started the paranormal clergy. You know, we never charge. We don't charge a penny for our services. And that's why I did all those television shows. All those shows, I didn't get paid for them. I did those shows because I wanted to spread the word out about the paranormal clergy, an organization that does volunteer work. Because I couldn't, I certainly couldn't pay for that advertisement, and I wouldn't because we don't obviously generate it. So that was a great way for us to spread the message about the paranormal clergy. And the, the point is, is that people would have to contact us. But understand, people will say, you know, they, they may say that they're possessed, and they may think someone is possessed, but I am a massive, massive skeptic. You will not find a bigger skeptic than, than me. You just won't. Because I... I cannot believe every single case because if I did, I would, I, I would, I would run myself to the ground. So I, what we do is we send a team out there and we investigate, and based on the information that we find, then it goes to the clergy to determine if there's actually possession or demonic infestation or if it's poltergeist. And so, I always tell people that if you're a paranormal investigator and you go into a home. And if you really think that there's something there that's negative, then follow your follow your conscience. If your conscience is telling you to leave, then leave. Don't keep don't stay there. Because you could you could allow something to happen by staying there. You just gotta stay away from it. And then you call clergy, get clergy involved. Um, understand I understand that a lot of people want to capture this on video. Uh, because the paranormal investigators, by, by our very own nature, we're inquisitive, and we want to find resolution. We want to find out what's going on. We want to capture the evidence. And that's where a demonic entity could easily weave you into their web by teasing you, by pulling on those the, that, that desire to want to know more, and then before you know it, you're stuck into a demonic case and you are in trouble. 
Now, you bring up a really good point there. Have you ever experienced in uh, the cases that you've worked that before you've been contacted, you're already feeling something coming on that I don't want to say premonition, but the the supernatural is, is basically telling you there's something going on and you are about ready to get involved. Yeah, you know, especially when you're dealing with possession cases, I, I, I know. I mean, when it gets to a point where the team, you know, sends something to me and say, this is what we, we, we captured, it, it's that feeling, um, it's that gut feeling, it's like, oh, God. And it's, and it's, oh, God, not because of being scared, it's, oh, God, because I'm worried about the individual who's under the stage of possession. Because it is, it's quite violent. And it's very taxing on the body. And not only that, but it's also very devastating to the family members who are watching their loved one deteriorate in front of them and can't do anything about it. The feeling of hopelessness. So there, it, it, there's so much that goes on. Uh, and then after the, the exorcism is performing, and, you know, with God's blessings and God's grace, obviously within the whole entire the ritual, hope the person is cleansed. But you still have to understand that there's got to be long-term help for the individuals who are who have you know, suffered possession and the families. So the psychological, you know, help is absolutely crucial. So long-term counseling sometimes is, is necessary for even the family members. I would imagine that true possessed individual is quite rare. What have you experienced in your dealings with it? What is that percentage? Well, the percentage, it really is very rare. I've done this now for 20 years now, and I've done 28 actual documented exorcisms. 28. Now, keep in mind, I also receive two, 300 emails every other day. So, from, and that's from people who say, I'm possessed, or I know somebody's possessed, or can you pray for me? I mean, there's a whole host of emails that I receive. But I get quite a few emails from people stating that they're possessed, and they believe that they're possessed. And really, honestly, that's why I, I the paranormal clergy was started because I can't possibly go to all these places and investigate. I just can't do it. So we have teams go out and investigate those, and then they bring it back to the information to us. We determine the clergy determines if we need to get involved with it. And so it is very, very rare. It happens. Unfortunately, a lot of people mistaken uh, mental illness for uh, possession. And one of the most dangerous things, and this, this really needs to stop. It has to stop in the paranormal community. But the people who are not trained in demonology need to stop going to people's homes and immediately telling the people, oh, there's a demon in your home. How in the heck do you know if there's a demon in your home if you have no training whatsoever? And, that, that is, and not only that, what, you call, what happens when people do that is they cause extreme emotional distress in the family. Oh, you have a demon on your home. So, uh, you know, uh, we don't know if we can really do anything, but we'll try to make some phone calls. So God bless you. And then you leave. And now they're stuck there wondering, what in the world do we do now? That's the evil thing to do to people. That's a very evil thing to do. Or someone who is mentally ill. You walk into their home and, you you know, you don't do the proper legwork, meaning finding out their, their background history, asking questions, have you been diagnosed with a mental illness? What medications are you on? You know, if you don't ask ask those questions, the person could be suffering from schizophrenia. The person could be suffering from dissociative identity disorder. 
there's a whole host of things that could be just you know, suffering from. And if you go into someone's home and then you say, oh, you have a demon in your home, a person who's schizophrenic, you can put them in a manic state. So th- that's such a disservice. You have to either have done any time you're dealing with demonology, it is not paranormal. It is theological. It is theology. It is religious. And we just have to be more, we have to be more careful, I think, uh, with, uh, with not throwing that demon work around. I was going to say, do you find it that uh, the individuals working in the paranormal field just jump to that conclusion way too soon? Oh my gosh. It is, it is an epidemic. It is an epidemic. Because then what happens is I get called by these, these people. I'm telling you, it, it is bad. Because then they tell me, well, this group came over. They did an investigation. They set up a demon. They didn't tell me what I was supposed to do or how I was supposed to fix it. And then they put them in a, in a manic state, a paranoid state. And then I go and I get involved with the case, and then I debunk everything. And it infuriates me because these people are legitimately terrified. Some even have kids. And they don't understand what's going on. And the, the paranormal teams are just so eager to throw the word demon around and, and not offer a resolution to these people. And these people are, are, are really, I cannot tell you how many teams have done this. It is, and, and I mean this with all sincerity, it is an epidemic. And I think it is the most unpastoral thing you can do. It is truly one of the most unethical things someone can do. Is go into someone's house who is legitimately frightened and terrified. And then immediately throwing the demon word around. And then say, well, we're going to try to do this and try to fix this, but we'll have to call you later. That is such a sadistic thing to do. It's sadistic. I I completely agree with you on that. Let me ask you this question. Is it only an individual that could be possessed, or can homes be possessed? Can you actually do an exorcism on a home or a facility? Yeah, the, the home cannot be possessed. The home has the infestation. So that you cannot perform an exorcism on a house. What you do is we have the minor rite of exorcism and the solemn rite. The solemn rite is performed on the individual who is actually possessed. The minor rite of exorcism is when an exorcist will enter and because a demonic entity has infested itself in the home, we begin to recite prayers and provoking to manifest the entity so then we perform the exorcism on that. We do not perform the exorcism, we do a blessing on the home, but we perform the minor rite of exorcism on a demonic entity that has infested itself within the home we're building. Wow, thanks for that clarification. Now you've said that you've worked on uh, 28 real cases. Would you be willing to share, you know, one of those cases with us? One of the cases that I worked on was one of the, it's a widely, I tell you what, it, it, this case has been so documented that uh, it has really caused problems from other church communities. They've asked if you know I could share some brief information about the case, and I did. And they are they are you know, teaching their own seminarians this case. It's an incubus case, and it is um, she was 68 years old. Incubus is a demonic entity that attacks you on a sexual nature, so it's incubus and succubus. And this was an incubus case, and she was a 68-year-old woman, and she she was like the grandma. I mean, she just she was the sweetest person in the world. 
But when I got involved with the case, uh, she had been uh, violently ripped apart in her private area and anal area, and she was in the hospital. And so I got involved because uh, she would describe uh, dead walkers. She, there were three, and she said they were like 10-pound dogs walking on, her, walking on the bed. She described them as bed walkers. And they would hold her down. And while they were holding her down, they would violently, violently rape her. Now, understand that there, when I say rape, I'm not talking about an actual uh, physical man as far as that aspect. But a demonic entity will manipulate the muscles, and it will cause those issues. It will cause the issues that does. So she would describe it pinching her violently uh, in her private area. And she would drive her truck. She had a pickup truck, and uh, she was driving to church, and she said that it felt like a plunger was being used and um, it was so violent she crashed her truck and so when I got involved with the case she was in she was in serious trouble and um, I worked with her and uh, for a while and I was able to only through God uh, I was the instrument that God used to to eliminate the sexual attacks she would occasionally still fill the bed walkers but they would no longer touch her and and then when she passed away, she passed. She was free from these attacks for a year. Then her, her family asked me to perform her, her funeral, which was uh, very touching. You know, so that was um, that was a very violent thing. Wow. In your experience in talking with your your fellow clergy, have you ever heard of cases that where an individual was possessed and? exorcist rites were performed later they again became possessed yes yeah i i, I have found because the thing is it's the same thing with the minor right of exorcism let's say you know if someone invites something or, or if a paranormal investigator goes out and uh you know they they, they challenge this thing that is within this building and now they have an attachment they bring it home and you have major issues going on. The thing is, I can perform a thousand minor minor exorcisms on, on a, you know, entity that's infested itself in a home. But if the person goes out and does what they what they're doing again to invite it back in, it's just re- the, the, the recycling door. It just keeps going all back constantly. And that's the problem. And I tell people, you, you've got to understand there has to be some type of invitation there. So paranormal investigators fall into this a lot because they'll go in to a place that they have maybe dark and, and maybe demonically infested. They say, is there anyone here? Is there anything here? Please make a noise. That's an invitation. That's an invitation. What? Um, if, if there's anything here, please touch me. What are you, what are you doing? You are now inviting this demonic entity if it is present to now attach itself to you. You've given the invitation. And a lot of times, if a paranormal investigator is not in control of their emotions, and they walk in and they're, they're tough and they're big, and well, come on, I dare you, do something to me, I dare you. That moment right there, you've sealed your fate. Because the demonic entity is looking right at you. And they're saying, I will. I'll do something to you when your wife leaves you, when you lose your job, when you're sick, when you're lonely, when you feel depressed, that's when I will provoke back. And the problem is, is 
we get into that trap. And uh, we, we got to be careful about that. Now, what do you think about individuals who are doing uh, paranormal investigations and they try to provoke spirits? You know, I just don't understand that. That would be like going in, you know, swimming with bright lights and provoking them. You know, with at least bright lights, you can see them. You, you go and you do provocation. I've told Zach this several times when I was on Ghost Adventures, stop provoking. Because it's going to happen. Your, your life is going to be turned upside down. You've got to stop. And I, I, you, you just... Demonic entities are very patient. They, they, they're very patient. They're, they're not going to, to uh, do dance for a dime. You know, it's, that doesn't happen. They're not going to do it just because you say do it. They're just going to sit and wait and allow you to basically put your seal your own faith. And that's when they absolutely will provoke back. And so we have to be careful because I always tell people, remember Robotic entities will provoke back. And they'll do it in their own time. They won't do it just because you demand it. Well, I know that's one thing that I've learned is that time is on their side, not ours. Yeah, that's right. Now, you mentioned earlier uh, the term uh, incubus and succubus. Just for our listeners, can you uh, define what is the difference between those? Yeah, incubus is a demonic entity that will attack a female, the succubus will attack um, males. Uh, understand that I, I've had a case of a succubus attack where the gentleman described the, the succubus attack as if um, a hammer was being used on his, his private area. And he was in trouble. He was serious. So he had to have several operations uh, because it, it started out, it, the, the dreams that he had uh, started out, he had done things previously, you know, that, that he should have done as far as invitations, you know, doing things. Uh, he, was, he was very involved with Satanism and that kind of practice and as a younger, a young man. And he gave it up. But the problem is, is you know, that, that put him as a target. And uh, so when I got involved with the case, he had, he was in the hospital and uh, he had to have operations. And he can no longer, you know, have children because of, you know, what, what was needed for the operation. But uh, it, it will start out good pleasant, and then it will become very violent. It's the old hag syndrome that people have talked about where, you know, it starts out pleasant, you know, it, it, the body, the human body, human sexuality, and then it becomes more violent, more intrusive. And it's no longer just it, it's sleeping at night. It's anytime anytime and it becomes more even more violent and more aggressive uh, during the day uh, whether it be at work or whatever it is and um and so once you see you what you said in the name of christ i command you to leave and then it becomes and now the gig is up now they know that you know that it's violent and it becomes very aggressive so uh, i've had uh, several cases of now you mentioned dreams that's an interesting point is do you find that Individuals could just solely be attacked in dreams and never really go into the physical world, or does it have to be both? Usually, look if a demonic entity if, if, if a demonic entity is involved uh, with an incubus or succubus case, it's not going to just simply give you pleasure 
I mean, because the, the, the whole point of a demonic entity, the reason people ask all the time, why do demonic entities attack us? And the answer is very simple. The answer is because it's not because of you or your family. The main purpose for a demonic entity attacking us is one thing, to hurt God. That is why demonic entities attack us. How can they hurt God? By hurting the ones that God loves most, us. And so that's why demonic entities will attack. And so it will start out pleasurable so that you will not rebuke it, so that you will invite it, so that you welcome it. That's invitation. Wow. That, well, I, I can't think of a better way to end our conversation with that. You're right. It's, it's, okay. it's not about us. It comes to it. It comes down to God. That's right. If an individual wants to learn more about you and your ministry, what is the best way to go about doing that? Well, you can go to my, my website. It's uh, bishopjameslong, L-O-N-G dot com. And if they want to make a donation there to the homeless ministry, that would be wonderful. I would appreciate that. Again, our, our clergy, we're not paid for this. We don't get paid for I don't get paid for being a bishop. There's no salary. Um, it is strictly volunteer work. And uh, my ministry is strictly volunteer. So they can go to bishopjameslong.com. Um, or if they want to learn about the courses, they get four courses, paranormalcourse.com. Yeah, and I did. I looked at those prices. They're extremely reasonable, uh, especially if somebody even wants to kind of start out and find out if this is something that they're interested in. You know, I think that's a great way to go. Sure. Well, I greatly appreciate your time, and you have been a fantastic guest. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your knowledge with us. And again, if anybody wants to get a get a hold of uh, Bishop James Long, I would encourage you to seek him out on his website. Uh, I know he gets back uh, fairly quick and to answer your questions. So, Bishop Long, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Bishop Long for sharing his experiences and his story with us. If you'd like to know more about Bishop Long, please visit his website, bishopjameslong.com. And I'd also like to throw a special thanks out there to Grant Wilson. Thank you, Grant, for allowing us to use your music on the show. If you would like to share your paranormal experience with us, email us at ghosttravelerspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is ghosttravelerspodcast at gmail.com. Also, go to Instagram and like us on Ghost Travelers Podcasts. I would appreciate that. Thank you again for listening to our podcast.